The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been lied to? Now, I think I know the answer to that. I know I'm not alone. That has certainly happened to me. Um, In fact, my wife Katie and I, we um, are like most people. We enjoy spending time together on vacation in nice places. That's something that we like. And um, one year for our anniversary, we were hopeful to get away. Just a short little getaway, maybe two or three days, not like flying on a plane, just get on, uh, you know, a short drive away, but something really nice. That was kind of our thought, and we were thinking about this, and uh, one evening we were out shopping, and um, when we were there, we saw this booth kind of like up in the distance, and I could tell it was like a vacation packages, and I was like, I think we need to steer clear of that, honey, and somehow we were walking around, and then on our way back, we passed this booth, and there were these people. They seemed so nice. I mean, they were smiling. They seemed so lonely. I felt like it was the right thing to do just to say hello to them, so I started talking to them, and the conversation was going well, and in fact, we ended up putting $200 down on this lovely three-night package that was just a short drive away. It was like fulfilling all of our wildest dreams, and God was providing for our anniversary. This was perfect, right? Well, maybe not. Um, you know, we had got our hopes up. I mean, even, you know, all we had to do was just go to this pitch while we were there and we were going to get like our money back on a Visa gift card and it was going to be awesome until we went to book this vacation and um, we weren't staying in the place where all the pictures were shown and then remember this is for our anniversary um, we were booked at a day's in near the resort now I don't know if we have any days in fans out there I'm not throwing shade at you but Days in is not anniversary material in the smiley house, okay? (laughs) And of course, I mean, this is a true story. I made it so much better when I said, honey, maybe it's a nice days in. (laughs) And that look on her face was all I needed to know. I was not in charge of planning vacation anytime soon. But, um... The truth matters, doesn't it? The truth matters a lot. It matters in little things, and it matters in really significant ways, in ways that are worth way more than $200. Um, When things are at stake, the truth really matters. And this month, we are studying the four shortest books in the New Testament. They all have one chapter And we're calling them one-hit wonders, not because they have the lasting power of some of your favorite music hits, but they are one hit because of that one chapter, and they speak some very significant things that we need to hear because it's God's Word. So today we're going to turn to the book of the Bible with the fewest verses So maybe you know what book that is. It's towards the end of the New Testament. It is actually 2 John. It has 13 verses. It's the least amount of verses of any book of the Bible. And I know you know where it is. It's right between 1 and 3 John. So I'm sure you know exactly where that is, right? Go to Revelation and go back a little bit and you'll hit 1, 2, and 3 John and you can jump in. 2 John is hard hitting, which is what you would expect for 
a verse or a chapter that only has 13 verses. It says so much. It doesn't pull any punches. Um, and it is actually quite simple. John says something very profound and very clearly to us. And it is that the truth is all we need. The truth is all we need. This is what John will tell us. The truth is what we need more than anything. We need the truth. We'll start in verse one. It says, this letter is from John the elder. And I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and to find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. Now, it doesn't take a scholar or even your full attention uh, back there in the back. I see you. Um, to know what this book is going to be all about. It is about the truth. John has a lot to say about the truth. And this apostle John is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, the one who is one of Christ's closest earthly friends, the guy who knew the truth. He touched the truth. He heard the truth. He encountered literally the truth with his life. And he knew exactly what he was talking about. And he has a message for a chosen lady, which is a reference to the church. The church is chosen. The church is the bride of Christ. It is the chosen lady. And he has a message for this truth, this truth that he loves, the church in the truth. You see, the church, according to Scripture, the true church is made up of people who have the truth. That is who makes up the church. The people who have a relationship with the living God, that is who the church is. And for John, we know exactly what he's referring to when he's talking about the truth. John 14, this is a verse you may know, John 14, 6, he's, he's quoting Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. That is who John is talking about. That is what John is talking about. The truth is Jesus, and the truth can live in us, not because Jesus takes residence here. Jesus lives in heaven right now, but Jesus' spirit, the spirit of truth, can live in us. Jesus kept talking there in John 14. He says this in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate, one who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him, but you know him. You know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The spirit of truth is who lives inside of believers. Because if the truth is all that we need, John makes it clear, we need the truth inside of us. That's where the truth needs to live. It needs to live deep inside each and every one of you. 
And for John and throughout all of scripture, the truth is absolute because Jesus doesn't ever change. What we believe about Jesus matters. It matters in a great deal. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about this, and when we place our trust in Jesus, his spirit comes to live inside of us. It's really that simple. And I hope most of you have heard that. You know that. You have the confidence that the spirit of truth is in you, and that you know that, and you sense it, and you know that you have this guide that guides you into all truth. But if you don't know that, Today, before we go any further, you need to know that. The truth needs to be inside of you. And so whether you've never done this or you've done this a hundred times, I want to pray with our church family and for anybody who needs to know, I want the truth. You can have the truth. Just pray in your spirit and agree with what I am saying. If you've never heard this, let's pray and thank God that he has given us a guide into all truth. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you've saved us, that you came here on earth as a person, that you lived and you died for us and you showed us all truth. You've left us your word, which is truth because it's your words and you have given us your Holy Spirit and all we have to do, Lord, is put our trust in you that 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 is true, that that is the way it works. And God, we extend that ask and say, Lord, Please give us your Holy Spirit today and guide us as we read your words, as we navigate our culture and seek to live according to this truth. We need you and may you come inside of people who have never experienced that today for the first time. May you do that even now as we are praying. We pray this in your name, amen. Amen. You see, there's so much joy when we see this happen, when we see people putting their trust in Jesus and they have the spirit of truth in them. That's why John says in verse four, how happy I was to meet some of your children and to find them living according to the truth. That's what makes a Christian parent so happy. There's nothing else in the whole world. You could ask a Christian parent, what is it that you want? You want your kids to live according to the truth. My son was baptized this past summer and I have confidence that he loves Jesus and has placed his faith and trust in Jesus and there is nothing, literally nothing else that could make me happier than to see my children follow and live according to the truth. And the same is true for John as he's talking about the church. There's nothing that could make us more proud or happy than to see the people in the church live according to the truth. And I want you to notice something. In verse four it says, some, some of your children. It's not all. It's not all of your children. And that's a reality I think we know all too well is not every child of ours, not every person sitting and participating in the life of White River Christian Church is going to live according to the truth. It's some. I wish it was all, but it is some. And we have to cling to the truth and continue to teach the truth and preach the truth and practice this truth as we hope all would live according to it. You see, the truth is what binds us. It binds us as a church. Just think about this for a second. The truth is really the only reason we're all here today. 
It's the only reason I'm here today. If it weren't for Jesus, I would not be here. I don't think we would be hanging out on Sunday mornings if it weren't for the truth. Now, I didn't, some of you maybe wish that was not the case, but I don't think we would. We wouldn't. And this is a lesson that you learn throughout life as you get older. You think you have all these things in common with people, but maybe you don't. You know, you think you have the greatest work friends in the world, and you're like, they're my best friends, and then they get another job, and you're like, hey, where are you, buddy? They're not there anymore. You think, man, all these people that live in my neighborhood, they're my next door neighbors, they're my greatest friends, we're going to be friends until Jesus comes back, until they move, and maybe there's some distance there, and that happens. Maybe there's people that you interact with all the time because you're sharing activities, your kids are in the same sports team, and you're like, these are my best friends until the season's over, and you're like, well, maybe that was a good run, you know? It's okay, we learn that we only have so much space for relationships, and that's normal, that's not bad, that's just how things go, but there is something different about the truth. The truth is actually something that binds us together forever. It's greater than the person that was your roommate in college or your next door neighbor for a generation. This is a truth that binds us together forever when the truth is inside of us. It's that powerful. Let's keep reading what John has to say. Actually, start back at verse three. Grace, mercy, and peace which come from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them a living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. If the truth is all that we need, and we need the truth inside of us, we agree on that. What John is saying here is that we need to be people who practice the truth. We have to live this out. We need to practice this truth that lives inside of us in a very specific way. We need to do it with love, he says, very clearly. This is what practicing the truth looks like. It means you have love for the people around you that God brings into your life. This isn't new. This isn't flashy. John even says so in 2 John. Hey, I I have an old command. This is not new. I know you know this. But people of the truth love one another. I know it's simple. It's a dusty old command. So dust it off and remind ourselves today that we are going to be people who practice the truth. We love each other. And it is not new for John. He talks about love almost more than anyone else in Scripture, certainly any New Testament author. He talks about love 42 times in the Gospel of John, 26 times in 1 John, which only has five chapters, and a few times here and again in 3 John. He talks about love. He seems to be obsessed with it. This very simple command, if God's people, the chosen people, this wonderful lady could just live out this one thing, he thinks this would transform the world. And he is right. He is absolutely correct because he knows what it's like to be loved. He is the disciple who Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself in John. 
He knows how transformative something simple would be, but we know it's not that simple. I want you to imagine for a second a young couple who is just deeply in love. Maybe you have been there. You can think back to, you know, just a couple years ago when you were madly in love with the person sitting next to you today if you brought them with you. Imagine this couple. They are so in love. They're apart for like a week and they're on the phone and just exchanging sweet nothings. I love you, honey. I love you so much. I would cross the greatest ocean to just see you right now. I would go to the moon to be with you, honey. I would do anything to, to be with you. I would climb the highest mountain just to be with you right now. I miss you so much, honey. I love you. I love you. P.S. I'll see you Saturday night as long as it's not raining, honey. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, sometimes we have all the words to say. But then when it comes to actually doing it, are we willing to do it? See, practicing love is not negotiable for that young couple. If it isn't practiced, those words mean nothing. They mean nothing. And if we don't practice love, we are like the boyfriend who says all the right things to God and then says, well, kind of raining out. Let's not be that way. Practicing love is how we do this. And verse 6 says it is a practice. Love means doing. It's actually something that we do. It means love is not a feeling that we have towards God or towards others. It's something that we do because God asked us to do. And practicing things is something that maybe many of us have had seasons of things where we have trouble living things out that we say we're going to do. I know when I have, I've had some moments like that in my life when I was in middle school, um, in Noblesville Middle School where Ivy Tech currently is. For those of you longtime Noblesvillers know that that's where the middle school and the high school used to be. So for those of you newer to the town, I went to Noblesville Middle School when it was at Ivy Tech. All right. So I was at uh, middle school and I was really cool because I was in the band and I played the tenor saxophone. I mean, you can imagine middle school Andrew playing the tenor saxophone. I was really cool. And um, I was playing the tenor saxophone and I got frustrated. I was in the band for like two years and I was playing all these bass lines. That's what the tenor saxophone does. You play the... And I was, that was fun for a couple years, but then I looked over at the trumpets and I was like, they get to play like the cool part of the song. They play the melody of the song. I want to play a better instrument. And I went home and I talked to my mom. I'm like, mom, I am getting rid of the tenor saxophone. Sign me up for the trumpet. Mom, you buy me a trumpet and I will practice that baby all week long and I will be a trumpet player. And she was like, you know, um, why don't you try it for a couple of weeks and we'll see if we can buy that, that trumpet, you know, because I didn't know what the trumpet cost, but I know that it costs more than a couple nights stay at the Days Inn now. I know that. <laughs> and she was right. I practiced a borrowed trumpet for two weeks and that was it. I was done. I didn't stick with it at all. So I never was a trumpet player. I am a former tenor saxophone player and I didn't practice it. You see, love is non-negotiable. It's not a fad. It's not an idea. It's not something that we move on from after two weeks and go, you know, this is old. This is dusty. It's not that interesting anymore. It's kind of hard. No. We cannot 
ever move beyond this simple command. And John actually doubles down on this as he continues because there's a lot at stake. John says this in verse seven, I say this because there are many deceivers who have gone into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. I think what John is saying is the way that we love, the way that we practice this truth demonstrates whether or not we believe in our mind. Whether we believe the right things about God, it will be seen in how we live it out. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching does not live it out. They don't. And there's a lot at stake. As we said, verse 7, there are people that deny specific things about Jesus. They deny certain things that are true about Jesus with their words. That there are people in the early church who were denying that Jesus came in a real body. I just want to take a second and think through this for a moment because it is fascinating to me that one of the most significant controversies that the church dealt with for two, three hundred years after Jesus rose from the dead was not to convince people that Jesus was God. You see, in the Middle East and people around, they were so convinced that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, was God because of look at all the things that he did. Their explanation was, he must not be a real person. Isn't that fascinating? That is the opposite of the world in which we live. People say, well, clearly Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical human, but he couldn't possibly be God, right? That's the world we live in today, but that is not the world for the first 300, 400 years after Jesus rose. It was the opposite. Think about that. And maybe that gives you some confidence today. Jesus is God, and John's message is clear that this truth, this person, Jesus, is all that we need, and we need to think the right things about him. We need to believe the right things about who he is and what he's done because it's true. That is significant and important that we know who he is, that he is a real person, yet also the Son of God, that he died for you and me and he rose from the dead. And we believe those things about Jesus. We cannot wander from that teaching in what we think about Jesus and we cannot wander from that teaching in how we live, practice that belief. So how do we know whether someone believes the right things about Jesus? John says this is really important. Well, we listen to the things they say. If they're claiming things that are false, then they've revealed it right there. If they're not teaching accurate things about Jesus, they don't believe the right things. But John is also telling us if they don't live a life in line with the teaching of Jesus, the person of Jesus, they don't love one another 
they don't believe the right things about Jesus either. John is very clear. We can match these things up. He said it over and over. He heard Jesus say it over and over. John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is not revolutionary for those of you who have sat under Jesus' teaching for any length of time. This isn't a surprise. This is how it works. But it's true and we need to be reminded. I heard this this week and it was a way for me to think about this in a new way, is from Francis Schaeffer, who's one of the most influential pastors of the 20th century. He actually passed away in 1984, so this is a little older influence on the American church, but he said this. Again, think about the 70s and 80s with which he said this. In the midst of our present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. I never thought about it like this. When Jesus made these claims and John is speaking God's word to us today, God is actually giving a right to the world, not to us, to the world. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love to one another. I've never thought of it that way. That Jesus, in all these words that we agree and we amen, he's actually giving a right to the world, not to us. The world has a right to judge us. And I know we want to say, you know, you shouldn't judge anybody. Well, the world has been given a right by Jesus on his authority to judge the church. That's something to think about. And it's true. The world is supposed to judge the church. Do they believe what they say? Do they live what they say? We must practice the truth. John is telling us we have to. We not only need the truth in us, we not only need to practice the truth, but John finishes this letter and with one more need that we all have. Verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I think what John is saying is, if the truth is all we need, we really need to protect the truth. It's really important that we protect the truth that we hold so dear because it matters. Life and death are at stake eternal life is at stake with what we believe about Jesus and we need to protect it. As we saw in verse seven, there are deceivers out there who claim to know Jesus and teach about Jesus, but they don't teach the right things about Jesus. That happened then, it happens now. The Bible talks a lot about false teachers and John is saying you need to warn and pay attention, church, to the people that are teaching in the meeting. But what's interesting is on a first reading, you know, you read all the stuff about love that John is saying to you and I, and then he says in verse 10, um, don't invite that person, don't encourage them. That doesn't sound like love to me. That sounds like, John, I don't understand what's going on here, John. Um, You just told us to love one another. This is not loving. Well, here's the thing. It is loving to protect the truth. It is. 
It is loving to preach and practice the truth. Compassion, showing love, and discernment are not at odds. They're not at odds. We live in a world where tolerance is the highest virtue of all virtues. And it is a virtue. It's a great thing to listen and hear and empathize with people that believe things that are different than you and I, but too much tolerance and you can lose the truth. That's what John is saying. And if we lose the truth and we compromise on what is true about Jesus, we're going to lose it all. It's that important. This is a warning against the church who welcomes people into their gatherings that are not teaching the gospel of Jesus. We cannot be a church that does that, that they stop teaching that Jesus is God's son. They stop teaching that he came in a real body. And you might be thinking, well, why is that so important that he came in a real body? Well, if he didn't come in a real body, then he didn't die in a real body for you and I. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like, he has to have died in a real body to die for the sins of the world. It's everything what we believe about Jesus. But catch this. John is also simultaneously saying in 2 John, not only do we need to be fierce about our doctrine and what we believe in our minds, he's saying, if you don't practice the truth, if you don't dust off that old commandment and love one another, you know what you've lost? You've lost the truth. That you can lose the truth because of your doctrine, you can also lose the truth because of your way of life. And John's letter is a warning to the church who is so concerned with what's right and wrong and they're hyper about every single finer point of theology that they're casting people out, they're excommunicating people, that that church has lost the truth just as much if they are not loving to their neighbors and to the culture around them. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse 46. He says, If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So we kind of get back to this conundrum. What is John really saying in verse 10? I would kind of call it his mandatory snubbing. Who do we snub? It seems like there are people that we're supposed to not encourage not welcome into our home, who is that? Well, what does the text actually say? Let's read it again, verse 10. He says, if anyone comes to your meeting, that would be this, and does not teach the truth about Christ, that would mean me. It means you don't invite me over for dinner if I stop teaching the gospel, You don't encourage me if I start wandering away from the truth or any person who is standing up here. If we start singing songs that aren't about Jesus, if we start talking about events and things from this stage, teaching in this meeting, that means we are wandering, okay? This is about people like me. Don't invite and encourage me. It's about this house, about this church. This is not an excuse to shut the door on your neighbor who disagrees with you. 
Shame on anyone in the life of the church who would use 2 John 10 to shut the door and not show love to the people in your life that think differently from you. This is not for the wider culture or people that are saying things that you disagree with on TV. This is about the people that are trying to come into this meeting, into this house, into the life of the local church. Those are the people we don't encourage in their pursuit to deceive. This is a huge distinction, is it not? This is massive, and it is one that we miss so much in where we are at in this cultural moment. We miss it. This is not an excuse for us to end conversations, because we should not end conversations with people in our life that think differently, that do not believe the same things about Jesus as you and I. We don't do that. We show love, because that's what John tells us to do. Do not misunderstand this. But it also means that we may disagree on certain things in the life of the church. You can disagree on a view of alcohol in the life of a Christian, public school, private school, home school. We might have different views on those kinds of things. We may disagree on a brand of politics. We may disagree about doctrinal issues like where, what do we really believe about baptism or the Lord's Supper or women in leadership Those are things that we can disagree with other people in other local churches. It happens. But we do not disagree about the person of Jesus. We have fellowship with them. Does that make sense? The main beef we have with people is their belief about Jesus. Jesus cuts through it all. What do you believe about him? And what does your life show you believe about Jesus? If we get frustrated with a culture around us that doesn't know the truth, that is wandering from the truth, shame on us for blaming the culture. Shame on us if we slam the door of hospitality on the culture who doesn't believe the same things as us. Shame on us for trusting in political solutions to fix some of those problems. That is not what John is saying. He's saying you love them and you fiercely protect the truth in your house. He says that's the answer, friends. That's how we figure this all out is you protect the truth ruthlessly in your local church and you love everyone out there just as ruthlessly. Of course there are lies out there. That's where Satan's playground is. He is lying left and right. We should expect lies out there. That shouldn't shock us. We should never be so fed up with the culture that all their lies that I need to stop turning the other cheek, that the time is now for us to be fed up with this culture and do anything and everything possible. We need to get power and make it right. That is not what John teaches You see, I am way more afraid for White River Christian Church to follow people that have a Bible under their arm or that you see on the news or listen to in a podcast or another preacher somewhere that says they are a Christian, but you watch their lay of life and it is not loving. Those people are going to deceive you way more than someone else in the culture who is spouting lies that I know you can recognize because you have the spirit of truth in you. You know that God created men and women in the image of God. I know you know that. You're not gonna fall for that lie. I know that you know that 
who's in charge. It matters, but it doesn't really matter because God's in charge. You're not going to fall for that lie and that fear-mongering. You're not going to fall for any of those lies. You're not going to fall for the lie that money and sex, you can do whatever you want with those. That's what the culture says. We're not going to fall for those things. Those lies are all over the place. I trust you. I'm way more worried about us falling for deceitful lies from people who seem to say that they know what the Bible says and we are deceived by those people. Do not be seduced by somebody, anybody, a pastor, a politician, I don't care who they are. If they are calling for your allegiance and your loyalty and your support and they do not love other people, they do not believe what we believe about Jesus. It is important, friends. It doesn't mean that we don't get engaged in politics. It doesn't mean that we don't get involved and do what we can and support. All that's important. But I'm just saying, don't let your heart go there. Don't follow that. The truth is worth too much, friends. It just is. The truth is all we need. And I couldn't agree more with how John finishes this. Because if we lose love, we've lost the truth. He says this, I have much more to say to you. But I don't want to do it with paper and ink. I hope to visit you soon and to talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. You see, church, you've been chosen. You've been chosen by God to have the truth inside you, to practice the truth every day, to be people who ruthlessly protect the truth in a way that's in keeping with everything the scriptures say. You have the spirit of truth in you. You have the words of truth to guide you. May we be discerning people who go about this no matter what is happening on the news, no matter what's going on in our home, no matter what's going on in our schools, no matter what's going on in the economy, no matter how low your 401k goes, no matter how an election goes, the truth is what matters more and it is all we need. No matter what anyone says or tries to sell you, we will not be deceived and we're willing to put way more than $200 on the line. And I'm even willing to stay at a day's end if it means I get to teach the truth one more day. It's worth it. Sometimes I just think, man, Lord, if you could come quickly, I would appreciate it because this is hard. It really is hard. And so that's what I pray for, for the spirit of truth to be evident in your life and for Jesus to come back because that is our hope. Amen? God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for John, that you speak through him to a culture in the first century, but a culture in the 21st century, all the same, because your word is living and active in every single way. May you use those words to cut off anything that you needed to in our life today. May you use those words to strengthen something in our minds today because the truth matters. 
God, may you save us and put your truth inside of us. May we practice it and be a church that is known for how we practice the love of Jesus and known for how we teach fearlessly the gospel of Jesus. We ask for your spirit to do this today and we trust you that it will be so until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.